Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Askcast September Mailbag Edition with me, your presenter Tim Stillman. And today, both Pippa and Alex, because they're very, very successful working in the world of football, are unable to join me for this mailbag because they're out being successful um, and working. But really, really pleased to say we've got a very, very adequate uh, substitute to step in from the bench and that actually might be a theme of some of your questions. Um, delighted to be joined by Art Duroche from The Athletic. Art, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me and yeah, hopefully I'm adequate. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> adequate is the right word. Um, I, I don't think that's too bad a word. I know a lot of people probably think when they hear that word, it's a bit like almost uh, sounding with faint praise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, hopefully I'm able to be adequate. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will be. I'm sure you will be. And uh, obviously, um, our, and I kind of uh, by I'm uh, not by default, but we sat next to each other at the first two games of the season um, so far. I take it you're are you going to be at uh, Emirates on Saturday covering the North London derby? I will be there. Arsenal, the Arsenal versus Spurs. Yeah. Amazing stuff. So, um, yeah, so we, we're going to do like a bit of a listener mailbag. But before we go into the questions, I guess I just wanted to ask you for your overall impression of the Ajax game on Tuesday. What's really interesting about doing these mailbag episodes is like obviously the questions are really governed by like the last result and I think the questions might have been different had like we recorded this before Tuesday for example because I think a lot of people were expecting Arsenal not to thrash Ajax but to beat them and obviously it it finished 2-2 what what was your kind of overall impression of the game? It was quite um, probably the most interesting game Arsenal women have played for a while I feel um obviously most people would have just wanted a win and I think they would have deserved one after their second half performance in particular but especially in the first half I thought it was just like a real battle um Ajax obviously really aggressive in their press and, and also their tackles when when they made them but um I think Arsenal actually I know Jonas after the game said they didn't press that well in the first half, but I actually thought they did quite well in their press from a personal standpoint. They they were able to almost force Ajax back to the keeper and then fourth long balls, which um, which I'll try and pronounce her name correctly now um, with you. Hafaeli, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> well done. Um, that her and, and Leah Williamson were just able to step up and win the ball um, aerially. So I thought uh, from that perspective, it was really an interesting watch because you just had almost a chess match kind of in front of you mm. where Ajax would make their moves and then Arsenal would respond accordingly. Um, in terms of n- 90 minutes um, looking at it, I think you just saw maybe how, I guess the way kind of I phrased it in my 
piece afterwards was it was just a reminder of how how fine the details are in the Champions League compared to the WSL. Um, and I think the fact that it's a big game next next week in the second leg probably isn't a bad thing for Arsenal, but mm-hmm. it's obviously not, it's probably not the ideal situation to be in. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And actually, we've got quite a few questions on like the differences between playing in the Champions League and the WSL. But actually, some of the first questions we have... And uh, we know this question was asked of Jonas as well about the structure of the Champions League because obviously it's a 16-team group stage at the moment. They only introduced group stages last year. And what we're seeing already, and we saw this last year, is some of the the qualifying games, you look at them, look at the results from the qualifying games, very few victories, let alone comfortable victories, a lot of draws, a lot of them in the balance. And you've got good teams playing each other like... Two years in a row now, we've had Manchester City versus Real Madrid as a qualifying game for the group stage. And, you know, you've got really even game between Arsenal and Ajax, really even game between Juventus and Kirsch, really even game between Paris Saint-Germain and Hacken last night as well. And, like, it, it doesn't feel like these should be qualifying games. So the first two questions we've got, first from Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82. How do you think UEFA should solve the problem of too many good teams going out in the in the Champions League qualifiers? Should they expand the group stage or add a Europa League-style second competition, maybe both or something else? And a very similar question from the Arsenal women blog at AWFC blog. Funny as, funny as it is, the likes of Man City and Ajax going out in the Champions League qualifiers. <laughs> Someone's confident. Um, <laughs> it's it's a bit mad, isn't it? Would, the, would there be a problem with expanding to 32 teams and cutting down the ridiculous pre-qualifying tournaments? Surely better financially to shift those lost games to the group stages. So what, what do you reckon with the... Obviously, we've only just started with this structure, but do you think we're ready for a 32 team group stage or a second tier competition or or is it not a problem are, are we just like so inured to the men's game being so unequal at this stage that actually maybe this isn't a problem maybe this is how it should be how do you see it yeah I hadn't actually thought of it from from that kind of point of view in terms of the comp the competition being so high now is it actually a good thing um because I guess if we're looking at it from Arsenal it probably is good for them because they're getting the reality reality check before they even step into the group stages, um, which mentally is probably going to be really important because you just saw, I think last season where they still had to go through the qualifiers, but they probably, the those qualifiers against PSV and, sorry, I can't pronounce the, um, yeah. the, the first uh, team a, they played Kazakhstan a team from Kazakhstan I, yeah I can't the name. I'm sorry and even um, but we saw last year with Arsenal those games weren't particularly close um, so I guess maybe it is a little bit of the luck of the draw but I do think when you when you see what's happened with City and Real Madrid maybe a solution would be to almost flip it around so um, rather than going straight to a quarterfinals, you add one more knockout stage, um, so like the round of 16, and then just almost beef up the groups a little bit more. Um, that's kind of the only way that I can view it in my mind. But as we know, UEFA are quite <laughs> stringent on how they run things. So I, I doubt that would happen anytime soon. But that's kind of the 
the only way in my head that I can see it really kind of working is flipping it around. So rather than having knockouts as qualifiers, you add another kind of knockout stage um, after the groups. I don't know if if you agree. Yeah, and there's a value into in growing things slowly. Um, I like. I don't think it would be a problem to have a 32 team group state or even like a 24. Um, where mm. you know the best third place teams qualify, that might be like a neat solution as well. Um, it's it, and look, I know UEFA have in their minds. I know this; they've always had in their mind that it will become a twenty-four or a thirty-two eventually. It's just how quickly that happens. And um, you know, I, I do wonder if the speed of growth has maybe taken them by surprise um, as well. I mean, you're talking about last year, and this is probably why it's more of a subject for Arsenal fans at the moment, right? And Jonas said this. He said, like, look, I don't want to have that discussion now because it is what it is, and we don't want to talk like we're entitled to anything. We have to be mm. Ajax. And, but I know he kind of thinks it should be bigger. He just doesn't want to, uh, understandably, doesn't want to have that discussion now. But last year, Arsenal got Slavia Prague in the last group stage, and they lucked out with the draw in a big, big way because Arsenal weren't seeded last year. They could have got Leon. They, could, they had a one-in-four chance, basically, between Leon, <laughs> Wolfsburg... Um, I think Rosengord and Slavia Prague. Like Slavia Prague, massive favourites. Rosengord would have been dicey, would have been quite equal. Wolfsburg and Leon, Arsenal would have been, well, we saw what happened when we played Wolfsburg later in the competition. And Jonas also used the example that Wolfsburg needed penalties in their qualifier last year. And Leon only just scraped past Levante. And by the way, it was a real shame not to see Levante in the group stages because not last season, the season before. They had this really unexpected season. They were one of the most interesting teams in Europe, but they drew they drew Leon, so they were out. So <laughs> I, I do think, I, I don't think we should want the Champions League to be exactly like the men's Champions League, and I yeah. want space for shocks like Chelsea going out in the group stages. I'm always up for Chelsea going out in the group stages. <laughs> um, and, you know, we had that last year because we had a really good group with Wolfsburg, Juventus and Chelsea in it, but... Yeah, I I do think that I don't I don't I don't think UEFA will go ahead of time, but I do think that some of some of these games I look at and think these these should be happening in the group stages. But yeah, there mm. we go. They're, like I said, these weren't questions that were coming into the mailbag last year when we were uh, smashing Slavia Prague. Um, let, <laughs> let's have a couple of questions about team selection on Saturday because obviously huge week coming up for Arsenal. Spurs on Saturday, Ajax away on Wednesday. Uh, big, big games. And one of, I think one of the most fascinating uh, kind of jockeys for position that I think's really happened over the summer more than anything is Laura Wienreuter and Noel Maritz because Noel Maritz has had that right back slot for so long. But Laura Wienreuter had such a good Euros with Austria and, and a lot of people, you know, she, she didn't play as much in the second half of last season and she only just came to the club. And, and I don't think she was hugely impressive, but she was hugely impressive in the Euros. So first question from uh, Lauren at Lauren underscore uh, J Jade underscore. We've had a look at both Wienreuter and Maritz at right back in the two games so far. So which one would you go for on Saturday? Personally, I'm leaning towards Wienreuter. Um, and that's because I prefer the way she plays stylistically. Um, I know <laughs> Susie Rack's a big, uh, big Noel Moritz fan um, because of how yeah. solid 
she was at, at right back, particularly last season. Um, but personally, I just feel not that... Um, I'm wondering how to word this correctly, but I just don't feel like she's as adventurous as uh, Wien Reuter. There are times, and this happened a few times um, last season, where Beth Mead on the right or Leah Williamson just inside Moritz will be asking her to just get up the line a bit more. And that's not, I wouldn't say that's a criticism. It's just not really a natural part of her game. Whereas I think it comes a bit more naturally to Wien Reuter. And I think you saw against Brighton, she was actually getting really high, getting crosses into the box as well. And personally, that's just kind of what I would prefer to see from a right back in this team, especially when you have Beth Mead drifting inside quite often. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my my view. I, I think uh, Wien Reuter is probably a better fit for what this team needs, but that's not to say Maritz is a, a bad right back. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of Niall Maritz. I, I think there are things about her positioning that allow Beth to move inside. And obviously of the two fullbacks, she inverts, you know, the right or mm. the right back rather inverts and Arsenal push the left back up, be it Steph Catley or Katie McCabe. I suspect I'm going to have a closer look at this this season because it looks like now we've got two pairs of fullbacks in Katie McKay yeah. and Steph Catley on the left and Veen Reuter and Maritz on the right. And quite often you find that there's a bit of a mix, you know, there's a good mix and a bad mix. And that's the thing I'm going to keep an eye on this season. I don't know yet. I don't think we've seen enough of Veen Reuter to say, oh, we should play her when Catley plays, for example. I suspect it might yeah. play out like that. But personally, I'd go with Veen Reuter on Saturday for the reasons you say, and I'd maybe go with Maritz for the away leg um, at Ajax, not least because of her kind of experience I think experience when you go away in Europe something like this I do think you probably want the the slightly more experienced player but I I do see that as a rotating role this season and I have to say Mm. if you'd asked me at any point last season I'd have said that Maritz was was one of the first names on the team sheet and that's that's a positive that that's not the case that we've brought in that kind of level of competition um so looking at the rest of the team then, uh, Teddy Mathis at Teddy Mathis 5 asks, the majority of the positions are nailed on for the derby. Um, who do you think should start fullback? We've already already discussed right back. So I guess left back between Catley and McCabe and then maybe influencing that, who plays on the left wing between maybe Ford, Hertig and McCabe. And um, would you start Viv as the number 10 um, or with Spurs being a physical side you know, do you see perhaps Katie McCabe, Caitlin Ford, Frieda Marnham, those more physical players coming in? So I guess it's a general question about some of the other areas of contention in the team. Yeah, I, I feel um, now probably isn't the time where there's going to be heavy, heavy rotation. Um, I know Jonas, I think it was before the Brighton game said he kind of knows the 11 that he wants to go with as his first choice. So with that in mind, I do see, say, McCabe coming back in at at left back. Um, And then ahead of her, I reckon it would probably be Caitlin Ford. And one thing, I know know you asked him about her after the Brighton game. And um, even, I think it was last game of um, last season, so the West Ham game, he spoke about how both her and Cat Lee were given that time after the Asia Cup to actually go back home 
and spend yeah. a bit more time there before coming back to Arsenal and how Ford in particular benefited from that on the pitch. I know, I think all her goal involvement, so goals and assists last season came after that break um, and really helped almost prolong Arsenal's title race. Um, so I think she's also started this season very well. You see almost she's, uh, I think Jonas made, or you made this po- point to Jonas that she's more maverick on yeah. that on that um, left wing compared to say how um, how Mead, Meadamar and Blackstenny is all combined. She can do a lot more by herself, I think, yeah. um, in terms of standing a player up, going past them and um, that side of the game. So I think she'd be the one to start. And also one thing I kind of noticed on Tuesday was physically, she just seems a lot more robust than Hertig, um, I feel, at the minute. That's not a dig or anything. It's just, I think, that's something that will probably come with Hertig over the course of the season. Um, so for now, I, I'd see Caitlin Ford playing there, especially, as you mentioned, with how physical Tottenham have tried to be with Arsenal um, in the past season in particular. I think that that could probably help them at the Emirates on on Saturday. I almost said Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> so used to the Sunday games. Yeah. I, yeah. I, um, I think maybe more than anyone in that front line, Caitlin has to be a starter at the moment on, mm. um, on current form at the end of last season. She scored twice in this fixture in May. When you look at what Spurs try to do, you know, it's their right back that pushes on in Ashley Neville and, and, for a start, I'd probably go with McCabe just because of the physical side, but also because that that's where a lot of Tottenham's threat is um, on the right. And so I, I do kind of, at the moment, I still back McCabe to be able to get up and down the pitch because I know Steph's been carrying a bit of an injury over the summer. Um, so I, I'd probably go with her. I'd definitely start Caitlin on the left wing. Like I said, mm-hmm. I think almost more than anyone in that front line and and the way she dribbles and breaks teams down, breaks their structure. I think that's going to be hugely important against Spurs. Um, And she's got that presence on the back post. I think we'll see that from Lena Hurtig soon enough. And one of the things that's weird, I don't know about you, but when you see a new signing in women's football that perhaps you haven't seen in real life before, is sometimes their size takes you by surprise. And (laughs) when Lena Hurtig came on, on on Friday night, you know, she was on our side, on the press box side. And I was like, fuck, she's really tall. <laughs> and and it, for some reason, it doesn't jump out at me on the TV um, quite as much. So I, I think for a game like this, I, I agree. And look, when you pick the team for this game, you've got to like, you know, there'll be a team for this game and a team for Wednesday. Yeah. But I, I guess one of, you know, one of the other questions that's baked in there, we've, we've got a lot of questions about Viv, as we nearly always do. Um, but one of them really is, because like you say, Jonas, he doesn't he doesn't rotate that much, and then we've got players like Jordan Nobbs and Mana Iwabuchi who kind of play Viv's position, and mm. maybe I think it's too early to have this discussion in depth at the moment. But there is a part of me that thinks you, you you're going to have to trust some of these players <laughs> to play these games. Sometimes, like, do you think this game is too early, for example, to do something like give Viv a bit of a breather and perhaps play one of Jordan or Mana? Yeah, I, I do think it's too early. Um, and that's not, again, not a slight on 
Nobs or Iwabuchi. I just feel like those are probably rotations that would happen pre- probably n- next month, I'd assume, um, at the earliest. Um, I, I feel like first kind of few weeks of the season, and we saw it last year, um, more so, oh, sorry, my voice, <clears throat> more so last year um, because they actually played Chelsea and Manchester City early doors. Um, and at that point, Jonas said he prefers harder starts to the season. And I think that's where you see in his selection, he goes really strong. And I think part of the, I guess, mentality behind that is getting a bank of points so that you can be the ones that are chased rather than having to do the chasing. Um, And obviously there's a possibility of that being the case now with um, the results from the first weekend of games. Um, And I think in terms of that number 10 position, I know people would be uh, looking at uh, Miedemann just expecting goals and goals and goals. But I think even when she doesn't score, she is one of the top performers against Brighton. The amount of chances she set up and it was just, I think it was just rustiness that she didn't come away with anything because um, in, in that pocket, she is so different. I feel Um, she's not going to be the one that just tries a a 30 yard screamer for the sake of it. If she sees Blackstenius making a good run, she will play her in. And I think um, that, especially at the Emirates, um, playing in that pocket on such a big pitch, I think that'll just play to her strengths even more. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we've got loads of questions about Viv. And, it, and as well, like, as always, there's, like, I think an element of recency bias in the questions because I, I don't think anyone thinks we saw the best Viv um, on Tuesday night. And I do think there's a wider question in here that um that I'll get to but we had so many we had like double figures questions <laughs> about Medema so um I'll, I'll just read out some of them Michael Fisher at Flint McCulloch on Twitter Viv Medema is a great player is there any concern over her effectiveness at present is she any better than Jordan Nobbs in her current position uh Christopher Humphrey at Chris Guna 52 Viv seemed well off her game versus Ajax do you think this was down to the aggressive physical tactics which Ajax adopted or were there other factors and see, this is a question I really think gets at something that, that really warrants discussion here as well is Yana at uh, Yana DW underscore. Viv as a 10 works well in most games, in my opinion, but there doesn't seem to be an alternative when the opponent presses and cuts off the passing lines to her and the wingers. Do you think this is an issue with Viv or other players? So I guess... Like to me, that that's where the meat of this question is. When we play those teams who press high, and we saw Chelsea in the FA Cup, Wolfsburg last season, Viv couldn't get into those games against those types of teams. And and I guess uh, you know, do you agree? How do you see that? And also, um, you know, is that an issue with her or, or the team more widely? Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I when you remember back to those games. I feel like, especially Ajax on Tuesday, she did have some good spells in the game, but then when Ajax were on top, you'd be seeing her almost standing next to Leah Williamson and Raffaele, um, just trying to get a touch of the ball. And I, I'm not sure how how you would go about changing that. Um, I, I feel like hmm, 
Yeah, it's a really difficult one because her quality is obvious to yeah. everyone. Um, but I guess maybe it would come down to the approach on the night. Like, is she the one who you'd want to be just stuck in the hole, basically looking for second balls? I'm not sure. Um, so maybe it. it's... Hmm. I know I'm. I'm sound like I'm struggling in this because I am <laughs> to, to figure it out. Because because I wouldn't say I wouldn't say um, knobs would be the ex- would solve everything in that regard. I wouldn't mm. say that. Um, I think looking back over say previous years, one player that probably helped with that a lot was Daniela van der Donk. Yeah, because she was aggressive with and without the ball. So you almost had someone who was just ready to be busy, no matter what kind of situation the game was in. And I don't think Arsenal really have a a 10 like that now. So maybe it is trying to figure out, okay, if we can't play this pass, what are we actually going to do? Are we going to hit it long or are we going to try and just keep it for longer? And I think that's where the decision-making that's been talked about quite a lot in terms of uh, when they come up against man-marking teams comes into play because uh, if you remember the Ajax game, very up and down, very up and down. Mm. They just tried to play a bit too quickly. So maybe maybe the solution would be to try and stay on the ball for a bit longer because that was a real problem, especially in the first half. Um and I don't know, my brain's just kind of ticking along now. But if you look at how that midfield is now, and I know we spoke, we've spoken to both Kim Little and Leah Volti about this in the past week, about them playing a bit higher. Maybe the solution is get them just a bit lower so you can get on the ball a bit more um, mm. and then kind of work from there. But I'm not sure... Um, if that would be the way Jonas would want to go. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's kind of how I kind of can rationalize it in my head. Yeah. I, I think you've got something there, which is just for some of these bigger games where the, particularly where the teams go uh, player for player, that marking system, I think the issue for Arsenal hasn't necessarily been a physical one per se. I do think it's something to do with the structure and the spacing. So when you play Viv as a number 10, now Viv, like she works hard, she does her work off the ball, she presses, et cetera, et cetera, but she's not a midfielder. She's a forward mm. playing in midfield. So to cater for that, you kind of have to play a double pivot. And that's what Leah Volti and Kim Little are, essentially. They're a double pivot. So what you've actually got in these games is t- kind of two sixes and a 10 when yeah. teams really push you back. So I think that creates a bit of a disconnect. And what we're seeing is what what kind of Viv really likes in that role is sometimes doing that, I hate to use this example, but that Harry Kane thing, dropping <laughs> in, back to goal, spin, ball out wide. So yeah. another player who really wasn't involved against Ajax for the first time in a long time was Beth Mead was very quiet. And I think that's because they kept Viv quiet because the way Beth usually gets the ball is from Viv. And Ajax cut that off. And I just think, and I'm with you, I don't know exactly what the tweak is. 
um, you know, you could do something like, for example, if you had more of a ball player on the left, like Mana Iwabuchi, and turn it into more of like a 4 2 2 and get Iwabuchi like close to Miedema. Obviously, then like that's quite narrow and you potentially lose something on the left. So it's it's like whack-a-mole, right? You, you take <laughs> a player out of one space and you just create it somewhere else. But I, I do think there is a tweak that needs to be made to that structure in the big games. And maybe, maybe the answer is that Viv doesn't play as a 10 in mm. those big games. Uh, maybe she plays up front in those big games, but then... You know, I think we can see she's not really the type of striker that, that Jonas likes. And having a bit more of a, a three that are closer together rather than like a two yeah. and a one, it's not like in these games, like in the WSL games, it does look more like a six and eight and a 10. Whereas in the bigger games, when we get pushed back a bit, it looks like two sixes and a 10. And those units are yeah. cut off from each other. And uh, yeah. I, what, one thing, sorry to cut you there. Yeah, go with, with that, it just reminded me of how close Little and Walty were to to each other in that first half against Ajax because they just couldn't, not that they couldn't string passes together, but it would if they kept their normal width, I just feel like the game would have got so much more stressful for them. So they almost, by default, had to be close to each other to try and get the ball moving. Um, so I think maybe drop in one more midfielder into that uh, into that unit, I guess you'd call it. So I, I reckon that could be Jordan Nobbs, maybe as maybe uh, Leo Vorti as a six and then Nobbs and Little as two eights. That could work, I think. Um, but I don't think we've seen that tweak be made before. So it doesn't fill me with confidence that it will happen. Yeah, yeah, same. And and actually, during the winter last year, we saw that Jonas for a while kind of liked that um, vaulty little Marnham uh, midfield mm. three before he kind of not fell upon, but 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 before Vib started playing yeah. ten, those three played a lot. And what you got there was the structure was nice, but there wasn't enough. Like there wasn't basically there wasn't like a proper ten there. Yeah, um, you know, and 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 I do maybe think that that's something to keep an eye on over this season. Whether look, Valti Little Miedema for the vast majority of WSL games will eat everyone alive. Not a problem. That, that's that's what I really agree with what Yana said in her question. It works most of the time, and the tenor of most of the questions is because we've just come off a game where perhaps it didn't work. But I yeah. do think there is a question about. Like something in the bigger games has to happen there. Like you, I don't know whether it's a personnel thing, a structure thing, whether it's a bit of both, whether it's playing Jordan or uh, Mane Iwabuchi in a wide position and bringing them in a little bit more. But that's really, I think that's a big, big question for the coaching staff um, this season. And look, that's why they've got their coaching badges um, <laughs> and stuff like that. And you and I have a login for Y Scout. Um, you know although Jonas said he has a login for Scout. yeah when I was I was reading it back it's like oh he he mentioned Scout. wow yeah (laughs) yeah and actually I saw uh, I saw someone um on Twitter who's a who's a football analyst saying um actually he he had a problem with that answer because Scout is not um like Jonas referenced like the games on Scout, uh but like um to, to look at Ajax, but this guy who's an analyst was saying, well, actually, Scout doesn't cover all of their games. 
Yeah. And um and that actually you know and comparing things like PPDA so that's passes per defensive action like between the Eredivisie and the WSL mm. is not an entirely perfect comparison and and I think we've seen an, another problem with the thing we're talking about here about the reaction to kind of those high pressing teams is it, it's just not something we face in the WSL. Yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And that, that's one of the questions we've got, actually. Um, uh, yeah, from Sunny Cool on the Ask Blog Discord. Um, after drawing with Ajax, do you think we are worse in Europe um, than the WSL? Beyond the fact that the games are harder in Europe... Um, although that could be disputed on some occasion, like it does look to me like Europe and the WSL, not just for Arsenal, look like very, very different challenges. Yeah, I'd say worse may be too strong a word. I'd just say they face really different challenges. And I'd also say the WSL doesn't really prepare them for those challenges that well, because for the vast majority of the time, they will play teams who just sit back and are waiting to go behind. And I know that sounds really harsh, but when you see how most games play out, you just see Arsenal playing against a low block and they have to break it down for 90 minutes. There are games where, say, I think the North London derby at Tottenham last year, they took the game to Arsenal and got something from the game and they deserve to get something from the game. I think that needs to happen more because I think too often teams just sit back and say, okay, it's it's almost like, okay, it's, it's Arsenal, it's Chelsea. Um, we know what's going to happen. I, I just think there needs to be a bit of a, maybe a mentality shift in terms of, no, we're actually going to try and take this game to Arsenal and make them work for it in a way that isn't just, okay, they're going to have to work against our low block. Um, and I think that if that happened, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen over overnight. It would probably take a few seasons before that approach is probably consistent. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like if that was to happen, then you'd get a, a lot better, or well, a lot more exposure to the challenges that they face in the Champions League 
And then alongside that, I feel you'd get a stronger WSL as well. I think you saw it with Tottenham, how how high they finished last year. Um, they they went for it. Um, and I think if more teams were to do that, then you'd get a stronger league and then you'd get stronger teams in, in Europe as well. Um, so it, it kind of, it's almost like a two two-fold situation where you you need to be exposed to that at domestic level to be able to be successful at in Europe in Europe yeah definitely and i think you saw what we've seen in the first two games is actually playing against 10 v brighton who are like the deepest blockiest team of the deep block <laughs> teams wasn't a good preparation um overall particularly you saw the way arsenal played in the first half against ajax and yeah, playing against like 10 of Hope Powell's traffic cones in the 18-yard area. Uh, sorry, that sounds really derogatory. I didn't mean it to. Like, I've got a lot of respect for Brighton and obviously for Hope Powell, but do you know what I mean? Like, They went down to 10 after seven minutes. Like, That was not, yeah. in the end, a good preparation for playing Ajax. I, I, I wonder if there's room to do something quite innovative in the WSL, like award points for goals. Um, or things like that, particularly where you've only got one relegation spot. And one of the mm. things I think that the WSL really missed is maybe an extra relegation yeah. spot or a playoff spot or something. Because last season you had something like Everton who ended up finishing 10th. They they gave up in about November because they knew they weren't <laughs> going to be relegated because it was clearly going to be between Birmingham and Leicester. They didn't yeah. really have to do anything basically, last season. And I think that that's just the case too much in the WSL. Teams don't have to do anything, um, really, that much to stay up. And so they, 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 well, not almost, I think they write off some of these bigger games. I almost wonder if you did something, I'm spitballing a little bit, I'm Todd Bowling a little bit here, but like, <laughs> if you had like points per goal scored or something, so even if like Brighton are 3-0 down against somebody, there's there's value in them going for a goal. Um, yeah, because like Aston, they might be fighting with Aston Villa for relegation, and it comes down to something like that. Like, I do think there's room for some some kind of innovative thinking. Maybe the goal, the points for goal scored idea is flawed, but I think you'd get a better relegation battle. And yeah, as well, I think you you you'd probably get um, you know teams in the WSL who are more prepared for the Champions League because this isn't just an Arsenal problem. Chelsea, Man yeah. City not really perform that well in the competition either but i don't i don't know what you, what you think about any of that <laughs> i think i think the the main i guess crux of it is just more jeopardy you yeah. need more jeopardy in the league um whether that is uh, points per goal or i i think the the relegation playoff sounds sounds better to me <laughs> um but um just add in a sense of urgency I think because in in a lot of games sometimes there's hardly any urgency at all um and I just yeah I just feel like it as you say with the Brighton game probably the Brighton game is a little bit um different because there was a red card an early red card but it's not the best preparation for anyone really um because Brighton are probably not going to play like that in most of their games. They yeah. will, or teams will um, be a bit more adventurous against teams around them uh, because they feel like they can get something. Um, you need to feel like you can get something from any game, I feel. 
and I don't think that feeling is there at the minute. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch the game, but I looked at the stats from Spurs-Leicester um, at the weekend because I'm interested in what Spurs are doing at the moment because they're trying to bridge that gap to mm. like, you know, the big four. And they went to Leicester and, and you're looking at Spurs and thinking, OK, your progression as a team is going to be marked by what you do against teams like this where you have more of the ball. And they won 2-1, but both were goals from outside the area. And the whole game had 16 shots in it. Spurs had nine. Leicester had seven. Like again, I didn't watch the game, so but just looking <laughs> at the data, that doesn't look like a very good game to me. Um, where you only have sixteen shots and you've got a team who are kind of trying to break into the Champions League, who are only producing nine shots against, you know, a relegation candidate. And and yeah, I, I look at some of these games as well and wonder whether there's just something we can do to make make some of those more meaningful um over time. But um, you know, look, I, I think what we're probably both getting at here as well is that Spurs in front of 45,000 at the Emirates, I think that's going to be better preparation mm. for a second leg in Amsterdam um, next week. Do you have that feeling as well? Definitely. I think um, with how uh, IX, the first leg, t- uh, kind of went in terms of just the physicality, I'll put it. Um, you can see almost similarities between how Spurs approached, um, I think, the the first game last season more so than the one at the Emirates last year. The one at the Hive, they were very, I guess, front foot in, in what they wanted to do, off the ball. And that almost created a platform to play, a platform for them to play um, a bit more and be more kind of, dominant at times um so i i think that if if the game pans out like that again it would be a better preparation for um the second leg against ix because i feel like ix will try and just ramp it up even more with themselves being at home yeah and and obviously arsenal have got a, a free weekend next weekend as well so they can really put everything into these two games but that said the just just kind of final couple of questions the discussion we've just had about i guess the lack of competitiveness it's kind of when you look actually at last weekend's wsl results man city lost to aston villa chelsea lost to liverpool and i do think um i was asked this question this week about like um whether we'll see more of these shocks. And and I do think we'll see more individual results like that, but I don't think the table will necessarily look different for it. So um, a a question from the Ask Blog Discord from Guna Works. Last season, Arsenal won 17 of their 22 games in the WSL and they got 55 points. Chelsea won it with 56. What kind of points total do you expect to win the WSL this season? So 66 points up for grabs. It took 56 last year. Are you expecting that to drop at all? It's difficult. Because I I feel like it will probably be similar, a similar kind of tally. If it was to drop, it would probably drop by maybe two or three points. I I don't think it would be a major major drop just because I feel like um Arsenal in particular when you look how at how they dominate outside of the top three games I think they are pretty comfortable and you look at how they improved in those games against the top teams last year 
I think that bodes well as a trend. Um, and then I know Chelsea lost to Liverpool and City lost to Villa. Um, but I think more so with Chelsea than City, I'd say, you'd expect them to to recover quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it would probably be a similar tally. But if anything, it would drop by maybe two or three points, nothing more than that, because I just feel like we're still at that point, as we've kind of spoken about, where um, I don't think there is widespread belief when teams play against the top teams to, to actually produce those shocks. But hopefully I'm proven wrong and there are more shocks because I think obviously Brighton showed last year against Chelsea and, and I think United that mm. they could go and beat them. Obviously Birmingham beat Arsenal last season. Um, Don't remind I us. Think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think there is potential for those shocks to happen. But it just, I feel like the belief has to be there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was about to say, I think one of the differences, maybe there isn't a Birmingham in the, the division this season. And but although Birmingham beating Arsenal literally decided the WSL <laughs> title race last season, which is, which is crazy, but it did. And hopefully this season, Liverpool beating Chelsea will do the same <laughs> in Arsenal's favour. But I don't feel like... Again, like I said earlier, one of the big things the WSL has missed, I think, over the last few years is a proper relegation battle. And it doesn't really look to me at the moment like there's a team you look at and go, oh, they're obviously going to go down. Like Liverpool have come up and they've already beaten Chelsea. Don't get me wrong, I don't think they'll be up high in the table. But I think what you're seeing is the middle tier of the WSL is expanding and all of those teams are ambitious and want to get into the top tier. Whereas Birmingham... Look, I'll put it plainly, I think they wanted to get relegated to bring the costs down the last couple of seasons. Bristol City, I don't think they minded getting relegated. Yeovil were, before that, were like funding themselves with GoFundMe. I don't see teams like that now. Um, And I think I I don't look and see that there's like a really obvious relegation team. That means that there's more going to be more teams, particularly towards the end of the season, who are going to need things and want things from games. And also probably just not a team you look at and go, oh yeah, we'll batter them 6-0 twice. So I, I think there is there is potential for the individual results, but I'm with yeah. you. I, I think around 55. Um, I think I think it would probably, um, the points tally would probably drop more next season, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I, I can see that because um, I do feel like, and I don't want to sound harsh in what I was saying earlier, but I do actually feel like there is more belief in the in from those teams, um, like Tottenham. I think they're probably the best example, um, and I think as they continue to grow, you will see games getting tighter and tighter across the board. Um, so yeah, I think next season is probably where that question will take. I guess um, come into fruition. I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and obviously, you know, if and when we eventually get three English teams in the Champions League group stages as well, you'll have teams who are dealing with that more and more. And, and you know, you referenced the Spurs game from last season uh, there. That was a Saturday lunchtime kickoff off the back of a Wednesday night away in Denmark on a plastic pitch. 
going to the hive, which should be a plastic pitch, frankly, <laughs> you know, it, it just introduced greater jeopardy. And yeah, I, I do think we're slowly getting on that journey now. But um, yeah, re- really, really interesting discussion. Um, and, and, and I do think, you know, with the North London derby coming up, we are kind of centering Spurs in that discussion as well. But our, um Really thank you uh, for your time. We're going to speak about this again tomorrow morning (laughs) on the Athletics Handbrake Off podcast. Um, But you can and should follow Art at Art DeRoche on Twitter. Art, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I hope I was adequate. (laughs) More than adequate. More than adequate. Um, So I just wanted to point to a few things we've got on Ask Blog News at the moment. So like I said earlier, we're trying to do more with the video stuff this season. So uh, just uploaded a video about Leah Volti following her 100th appearance. We'll have another podcast for you during the October international break as well. Loads and loads of written coverage. uh, And I'll be at Jonas's press conference at Colney on Friday afternoon ahead of this game. We'll do some video coverage around the North London derby. Our videographer Jason's going to be there as well. I'm going to be in Amsterdam for the second leg next week. So we'll try and do loads of kind of video and audio content for you out there as well. So as ever, uh, for all of your Arsenal women coverage, when you're not reading art in The Athletic, (laughs) you should spend some of your time there and the rest (laughs) of your time on Ask Blog News. But thanks so much for joining uh, and for listening. um, And we will speak to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.